Good morning, everybody. And it is so lovely to see the hall so full. Thank you so much, all of you, for coming out. I know it hasn't been easy, but it's absolutely wonderful. And to see new people and visitors and children, you don't know it, but just before you walked in, we'd be praying for children. And here you are. So God is good. This morning, I've titled my talk, Does God Only Love Me When I'm Good? And I wonder if that isn't a question we've asked. Does God only love me when I'm good? Mark taught so powerfully on God the Father last week. And for many, the reality of how our earthly fathers behave towards us has affected the way we perceive our heavenly father. And in our groups, we had some really, really deep and moving times, some real encouragement, enlightenment, and healing taking place. And, and I would encourage you, if you were touched by last week's message and if understanding the father heart of God has been something difficult for you, push in. Your father wants to show you his love. Many of us believe that God's love is conditional and depending on our behavior. God either loves us or he doesn't us. He loves us when we're good and he doesn't love us when we sin. That is a false narrative that is so not the truth. But it's a narrative so many of us buy into that God loves us when we're good and doesn't love us when we're not. Not long after we're born, we discover we live in a world of performance-based acceptance. Some of the first words we learn are good and bad. We hear things like, good boy, good listening, when they do as they're told, and do not draw on the wall with your crayon, bad girl. As a parent, it's easy to promote this narrative as we try to teach our children right from wrong. The difficulty is making it clear to them that it's their actions, not the identity that's being evaluated. This is performance-based acceptance, and it goes on through school, into the workplace, and so we often project onto God and think that we have to be good for him to love us. And this is legalism. This is legalism. This performance-based acceptance or legalism is a dominant narrative for many, and it leaves us in a state of constant uncertainty and anxiety. The good news is that this is not God's narrative. God loves us. Full stop. Nothing we do or don't do can make God love us any more or any less. God loves us unconditionally. Let's look at a story Jesus tells to illustrate this. It's the parable of the prodigal son. But really, it should have been called the parable of the father's love. The word prodigal means recklessly extravagant. And we attach this word to the younger son. 
because he's the one in the story who took all his inheritance and then recklessly and extravagantly spent it all on sinful living. But actually, the father is the most recklessly extravagant, offering his wealth to an ungrateful son and lavishing his love on the son when he returns. So, shall we read it? It's from Luke chapter 15 and verses 11 to 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth on wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. And sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out to him. And pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you 
and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The main character in the parable, the forgiving father, whose character remains constant throughout the story, is a picture of God. The younger son symbolizes the lost, and the elder brother represents the self-righteous. Let's go back to the beginning of the chapter to put this in context. So, um, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear him. That's Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus was showing them that he was sent by his father to seek and save the lost. But it was the legalistic, self-righteous ones who could not accept this generous act of love and grace. Grace is God's undeserved favor, and he extends it to all of us, regardless of our condition. But we have to accept it. We see in this story the graciousness of the Father overshadowing the sinfulness of the Son as it is the remembrance of the Father's goodness that brings the prodigal back to repentance. The parable begins with the younger son asking the father for his share of the estate. Though it was perfectly within his rights to ask, It was not the loving thing to do. As it implies, he wished his father dead. Instead of rebuking his son, the father patiently grants his request. This is a picture of God allowing the sinner to go his own way. We all possess this foolish ambition to be independent which leads to a departure and distance from God and a state of constant discontent. The son learnt the hard way that covetousness and greed lead to a life of dissatisfaction and disappointment. He squanders all his father had worked so hard for on selfish, shallow fulfilment, losing everything. When famine hits and he has nothing left, he sells himself into physical slavery to a Gentile and finds himself feeding pigs, a detestable job for a Jew. He must have been incredibly desperate, and what an irony that his choices led him to a position 
where he had to work for everything that he refused to do for his father. To top it off, he was apparently paid so little, he longed to eat the pig's food. No one gave him anything. How sad is that? This is the state of a lost sinner or a rebellious Christian who has rejected the freedom of Christ and returned to a life of slavery to sin. This is a picture of what sin really does to a person's life when he rejects the Father's will. The son begins to reflect on his condition and his painful circumstances help him to see his father in a new light. He is repentant and longs to return to him, even willing to give up his rights as a son and take the position of a servant. This demonstrates true humility and true repentance. He is ready to fall at his father's feet, hoping for forgiveness and mercy. This is exactly what conversion is all about, ending a life of slavery to sin through confession to the Father and faith in Jesus Christ, becoming a slave to righteousness, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. Jesus portrays the Father in the parable as waiting for his Son, perhaps daily searching the distant road, hoping for his reappearance. The father notices him when he is a long way off. I find this so encouraging. When we've strayed, turning our backs on God, we don't have to wait until we're right back yelling, hey, God, I'm here, hoping for him to notice us. He's been looking for us all along, and he knows just where we've been and just when we turn back to him no matter how far off it's been. I'm surprised the father recognized him. The son certainly must have looked different. He left home a wealthy man, well-dressed and well-fed. He returns home bedraggled, starving, and smelling of the pigsty. This must have broken his father's heart to see what had become of him. And he runs to welcome him with a heart full of compassion. It was not the custom at that time for men to run. Yet the father runs. Why would he break convention for this wayward son who had sinned against him? The obvious answer is because he loves him and wants to restore the relationship. In the world of Jesus' day, the father had the right to take the son to the elders and have him stoned, perhaps even to death. Instead, he not only throws his arms around him and greets him with a kiss, he is so filled with joy, he doesn't even let him finish his confession. Nor does he question him or lecture him. This is how our Heavenly Father feels towards sinners who repent. Not only are we forgiven, 
but we receive a spirit of sonship as his children, heirs to God and co-heirs with Christ. The father orders the servant to bring the best robe, a sign of dignity and honor. He puts a ring on his finger, a sign of authority and sonship, and sandals for his feet, a sign of him no longer being a servant. A fattened calf is prepared. Notice blood was shed for the atonement of sin, and a party held. Had the son been dealt with according to the law, there would have been a funeral, not a celebration. Instead of condemnation, there is rejoicing for a son who was lost and has now been found, was dead but is now alive. In heaven, there's a party every time a sinner repents. The father celebrates. Now to the final tragic character in the parable of the prodigal son. The older son, who represents the Pharisees and the scribes, the self-righteous, the self-sufficient. Outwardly, they live blameless lives, but inwardly their attitudes were abominable. Outwardly, the older brother obeyed his father, worked hard, and brought no disgrace on his father. It is obvious, by his words and actions upon his brother's return, that he shows no love for his father or his brother. His duty as the eldest son would have been to bring about reconciliation between the father and the son and to host the banquet to celebrate his brother's return. Yet, He remains in the field instead of in the house where he should have been. This act alone would have brought public disgrace to the father. Still, the father, with great patience, goes to his angry, hurting son. He does not rebuke him for his actions and the disrespectful way he addresses his father by saying, Look! instead of addressing him as father or my lord. Nor does his compassion cease as he listens to his complaints and criticisms. When the older son refers to the younger as this son of yours, he avoids acknowledging that the prodigal is his own brother. The father tenderly addresses his oldest as my son, and corrects the error in his thinking by referring to the prodigal as this brother of yours. The older son's focus is on himself, and as a result, there is no joy in his brother's homecoming. He is so consumed with issues of justice and equity that he fails to see the value of his brother's repentance and return. He allows anger to take root in his heart to the point 
that he is unable to show compassion towards his brother and unable to forgive the perceived sin of his father against him. He chooses suffering and isolation over restoration and reconciliation. He sees his brother's return as a threat to his own inheritance. The wise father seeks to bring restoration by pointing out that all he has has always been available for the asking to the obedient son, but he has never utilized the blessings at his disposal. Like the Pharisees with their religion of good works, he failed to understand the grace of God and failed to comprehend the meaning of forgiveness. The core message of the parable of the prodigal son is that it is only by God's grace that we are saved, not by works that we may boast. His grace, his unmerited favor is poured out on us because he loves us. God loves us and he will never stop loving us. We can't earn his love. He loves us no matter what. He doesn't only love us when we're good. He loves us always and forever. However, because God loves us unconditionally, it doesn't give us a license to sin, to go off and please ourselves. We need to return his love by obeying him, honoring him, and doing his will, not our own. He won't stop loving us if we don't, but we will only be damaging ourselves. Can you accept his love? Do you believe you're a precious child of God? Do you truly understand how precious you are? Take this to him if you're struggling to grasp this and ask him to reveal his love to you, his steadfast, never-ending, unconditional love. Here are our questions as we get into our groups in the hall and as those of you who are on the YouTube transfer onto the Zoom. So question one, what stood out for you from today's message? Question two, has the performance-based narrative been part of your experience? Is that what you believe? Is that been your narrative? I've got to do it right. I've got to be good. I've got to please everybody. Is that your narrative? Performance-based And if you don't do the right thing, you're not good enough. Ask your group to pray for you, if that is you, and be set free from that lie once and for all. The third question, have you ever been in a position to love someone who rejected you? Or have you been loved by someone you have hurt? And can you share The fourth question, 
Do you sometimes feel like the older brother who is reluctant to accept God's acceptance of others or even yourself? Receive prayer for this, to know God's love for you. And the last question, has this changed your perception of God's love for you? Can I just pray before we we go to our groups? Father God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that your love was so tangible this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you are teaching us as we come together in fellowship, as we come into our groups, as we open up and share and become vulnerable, that our love for each other goes deeper and our love for you goes deeper still. Father, we thank you for your presence in our midst this morning. And may we know your love when we leave here. And may we never believe the lie that we have to be good enough. From today, can we truly understand and accept that we are loved by you because you created us in your image. You love us. And you want the best for us, that you're always with us, that your Holy Spirit is in us, and that you will never, ever leave us. Thank you, Lord. Amen.